Dice games. Dice games. Hello, and welcome to Midnight Mon Pod, the Monster Apocalypse podcast after hours. My name is Garrett, and I'm your host for this journey into the miniatures game Monster Apocalypse. Tonight, I am joined by my friend Jeff. Jeff, if you'd be so kind as to introduce yourself and give our listeners your credentials. Uh, sure. My name is Jeff, also known as Tacactus on the Discord and other social medias. Uh, I guess my Monpoc claim to fame is I came in fifth during the last TTS Invitational. Um, I put up a bunch of numbers for 1.0 events back in the day, and that's about all in terms of why I'm important to Monpoc, at least. I mean, you got me into this game. Sure, yeah, but that, that's that's not important for tonight's discussion, is it? Uh, I mean, if I hadn't gotten into this game, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Okay, alright, fair. So what is tonight's discussion? My plan for tonight's discussion was going to your first tournament, or going to a tournament in general, because nobody's been to an in-person tournament in six months. People might need a refresher. Alright, cool. Well, I think something that we can do to start us into that, and tie it into current events with this cool segue, do you want to go over the new errata document real quick? Sure, yeah, that is not already pulled up here, but I'm sure it's pinned somewhere quickly in the Discord. Well, I have it pulled up, and I am going to go over some of the... So, to set a baseline, uh, one of the first things that you should do if you're planning on attending your first tournament is to check the latest FAQ and errata document. Uh, Privateer has it on their Monster Apocalypse website under the Downloads tab. Um, you will find an updated rulebook and an updated FAQ along with this new thing that they just added where they'll have new the most recent version of each model's stat card if they ever change stats. Which is something that when I started playing this game, they swore they would never do. Yeah, and um, as of today, that's no longer the case, which we can get into. Yeah, no, I'm down with that. So yeah, just... Uh, because it's it's fresh news, this literally happened today from when we're recording. There is a new FAQ errata document. It's the first one we've gotten since January, and it is a big one. There is a lot of orange text in here. There's a lot of orange text. Um, like most of the errata documents, a lot of it is clarification. It's not changing how anything works. It's just kind of tightening up the wording and making things less confusing. Uh, things like you can never gain power dice for destroying allied models, even if you have Rampager. Unless some future rule says you gain power from destroying allied models. Right. Because they definitely future-proofed that in here. That sounds like a Necroscourge ability, if we're going to get into conjecture. That sounds about right. Being able to punch your own stuff. But the major things, the things that are worth talking about, uh, are the biggest one is the new timing rules. So there is this thing called sequential damage, which no longer exists. There was much rejoicing. Right. So the way that you as a layperson were probably playing the game to begin with is the official way to play the game now, when before it wasn't and you were probably doing it wrong and not knowing it. I'm going to read off the new attack timing rules. Uh, so, when you're resolving attacks, this is the way that you're going to apply special rules, damage, uh, collisions, all that stuff. So, step one, the attacking player's special rules that trigger on hitting are resolved in the order chosen by that player. Step two, the special rules of buildings and assets that trigger on being hit are resolved in the order chosen by the attacking player. The other player's special rules that trigger on being hit are resolved in the order chosen by that player. So all three of those things are basically the same thing. It just says that priority goes to the active player, then neutral stuff, and then the defending player in that order. Uh, step four, this is the big one. Apply all damage from the attack, including collisions. 
If a monster in alpha form suffers damage, all of the damage is considered to be dealt to that form, even if the damage causes the monster to enter hyper form. If a monster in alpha form suffers enough damage to destroy it, the monster still enters hyper form and triggers any abilities related to going hyper before being removed from the battle map. That's the important one because of Globicus. Globicus, Tharsis, and Hondo. Um, so all of those monsters have either abilities that trigger when they go into hyper, or they have damage mitigation abilities in only one of the two forms. Um, in the case of Tharsis and Hondo, uh, they gain armored and lose armored, respectively. Uh, what that means is if Hondo is an alpha and you throw him into a double, armored is going to apply to the whole attack, even if he's going into hyper as a result of that attack. The opposite of true for Tharsis, if he's an alpha, gets thrown into a building, you do all the damage as if you were an alpha for the entirety of the attack, regardless of the amount of damage being dealt. Now, for what it's worth, when I started playing the game, that's how we were playing it. Right, that's that's the intuitive way to interpret rules as written. So it's really, it's a clarification, um, but there was a lot of contention over whether we were doing that correctly or not. So, And a lot of that contention started up when we started asking questions about, hey, what happens if Globicus does this, or when this happens for Globicus? because he caused us to look very tightly at the rulebook. Right. Um, in Galapagos' case, what this means is that even if you throw Papa Glob into a double for five damage and kill him in alpha, Baby Glob is still going to pop out. Is that the preferred nomenclature, Papa Glob and Baby Glob? That's what I've always called them, and that's what I've always seen them called. I've played against Glob one time so far. You're, uh, you're lucky. He's, he's not pleasant. I tanked the first round of the first tournament he was in, so I didn't get paired into him, and I didn't play in the second one. Fair, 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 fair. Well, welcome back to the fold. Uh, oh, yeah. It looks like you may have dodged a bullet, because there are only two in TTS-5. Everybody got bored with him. There was so much glob, everyone's like, hey, let's go play Buggernaut. Yeah, apparently. Uh, so, to continue down the list, um, steps Five, six, and seven. The attacking player's special rules that trigger on their model taking damage are resolved in the order chosen by the player. Step six. The defending player's special rules that trigger on the model taking damage are resolved in the order chosen by the player. Seven is the attacking player's special rules that trigger on destroying a model are resolved in the order chosen by that player. Step eight are buildings and assets that trigger on being destroyed. And step nine are... Defending players' special rules that trigger on being destroyed. So just like steps 1, 2, and 3, except on hit and then on destroyed, priority goes to active player, neutral, defender. And then step 10, remove the destroyed models from the map. The attacker gains paradise for each building and enemy model destroyed by the attack. Step 11, the attacking player's special rules and rules on buildings and assets that are resolved immediately after an attack is resolved are resolved in the order chosen by that player. And step 12... The other player's special rules are resolved immediately after an attack is resolved in the order chosen by that player. Okay, I have a question on this one. Okay. Tantrum. When does Tantrum trigger? Tantrum? I will pull up Monster Room and read the rule to you. I feel like it's triggers on being hit. This When this monster is hit by a body slam or throw power attack. So, that is going to resolve in step three, which is... Before applying damage. It is after the collision, but before applying damage. Um, because I believe that resolving the power attack happens after hit. Tantrum's gonna be weird. Um, possibly? Yeah, that's a good question. We probably, <laughs> we probably shouldn't get into that live on air, because neither of us really know the answer. Nope. Just remember, everybody... If you have any takeaway from this, it's that me and Jeff don't know the official timing rules on Tantrum anymore. Yes. And then we can move on into Arata. The one other takeaway from the timing chart here now. You can no longer fling a meat slave into what replaces the meat slave. Yes. Yeah, that is uh, clarified later on in the FAQ specifically. But that is a um, 
part of this these timing changes, which I believe that that was always the case. There was just some confusion on conflicting rulings that we got from different sources within PP. Yeah, there were, I think, two or three different rulings within a time frame, because that was all in the forums, if I recall. And that was before I started playing this game. Yeah, if you are... <laughs> if you're lost on what we're talking about, don't worry about it. Nine times out of ten, the thing works the way you think it works. That is probably the best part of this errata, is that almost everything in here is, yeah, do it the way that makes sense. Yeah, do it the way it makes sense. Yeah, they they definitely have cleaned things up in a move towards making things more intuitive. But moving into the actual erratas that change anything... Yes, a couple errata. A lot of them are just clearing up wording. But at least two of them have actually altered what a model does. So there are there are three power level errata across four models that have actively changed what the model does. I can't remember the third one. So the, the first is that Ignite now reads... During your monster activation, this model can spend two action dice while on an adjacent to a debris tile to perform an ignite action. It used to be one A die, now it costs two. Uh, that applies to both Incinerous and the Scorchers. That one is probably the most minor of the three. Uh, ignite still does the same thing it always did, it just costs a little bit more. But at the same time, it also probably is the most wide-ranging, because... I haven't seen a Destroyer's List without a Scorcher since the Scorcher was released. If you are playing Destroyer List and you're not running a Scorcher, you better have a damn good reason. Most often I'd expect that reason to be I don't physically own one. Yeah, that's fair. You should probably still pick up a Scorcher pack. It's a good unit pack. Yeah, that's probably my fourth Destroyer unit pack that I'm going to pick up. I know... A lot of people are kind of mixed on the Exterminatrix, but I really like that unit. I think it puts in some real work. Oh, that thing has kicked my butt multiple times. It's sweet. It's got, like, as many abilities as a monster. <laughs> More than some monsters. Well, yeah. Pour one out for Defender X. Ah, oh, poor guy. The second uh, power level errata that I want... I'm going to do these in the order of, like, least impactful to most impactful. Fair. Skipping down to Globicus. Uh, Globicus, for whatever reason got a pretty significant buff, the range on Bifurcate, so when he splits into two forms when he hits Hyper. Uh, when this monster goes Hyper, place the second model in play within four spaces of the first model. So it used to be within two, now it's up to within four. I believe the intention there is to prevent the unplaceable Baby Glob, which is rare but is possible. I think with the range extended to four, it becomes impossible. Now, they did say that was something that never came up in playtesting, and that they would address it if it ever actually came up. And if I recall, it was... Who was it? Was it Marin and Relocked? I know Marin was involved. Marin was definitely involved. It might have been Jeremy. Point being, it was possible with the current... with Bifurcate the way it was to get into a specific situation wherein... Bifurcate couldn't resolve because there was no legal place to place the second glob. So, their, their fix for that, and I'm not sure that I agree with it, is they extended the range of Bifurcate. I, I feel like this makes glob a lot stronger, personally. Um, it gives him a load of options of where to place the baby glob. I would have done it to add something to the card saying if you can't legally place within two place like place in a location where you will on top of a unit remove that unit from the board i was about to say being able to remove a unit is how i would have done it yeah and and have i don't know how to word it that it would be concise and clear but just say like place it in the closest to legal space like a path of least resistance type thing right like place it in the thing that is as legal as it could be otherwise, and then remove any offending units. Return to the reserve, because it doesn't uh, destroy them. Right. But this is, this is, I guess, a more elegant solution, even if it does power up Glob quite a bit. I'll be interested to see on how 
this shakes out in future games. Because, like, like I said, at this point, at the point of recording, this errata document is, like, what, eight hours old? If that. It's ten hours old. So I don't know that anyone has ever played a game with these new rules yet. <laughs> People have. They just all work for Privateer Press. Yeah. <laughs> we can assume. And so the last errata, and this one is the big one because this totally changes a rule. That doesn't just change a single number on a rule. It completely adds a sentence. Right. It changes the function of a rule. And that is uh, Sergeant Titanicus Combo Strike, which is a brawl trigger she has in her hyperform. Uh, now, in addition to being able to do a power attack immediately after brawling, Combo Strike adds this power attack gains plus three boost dice and does not require any power dice. So this is a really big deal for a couple of reasons. From a gameplay standpoint, this is the first time where we've had a power level errata that totally changes the way a rule works. This basically makes Hyper Titanica into a totally different monster. Yeah, because the way, the way you play that is very different from how it used to be now. Right. Uh, the other thing is that it is a pretty significant power level boost to Titanica. I'm not sure if it's enough, because this is Titanica we're talking about, and she's pretty garbo. She needs a lot of help. But the ability to punch something and then afterwards have an eight, eight blue boost die that's power attack that doesn't require power dice is not insignificant. The biggest problem with that is that the brawl still needs to hit first. Sure. I think most likely what you're going to see is she's going to go in, punch a unit that's adjacent to her, just to convert that unit into an extra red and three extra blues. Or, and this is pretty cool, um, the does not require any power dice thing doesn't really matter uh, when you're throwing or body slamming. Uh, well, throwing specifically, because you can't throw with zero power dice anyway. You would throw them for zero spaces. Do one damage, it may as well have been a brawl. Yeah. What it does mean is that if you're swatting, you don't need to throw a red in, and so you can swat for pure profit. That is an aspect of that I had not considered. If you're at zero reds in your pool and you're powering up for zero, you can turn one, well, two white dice into three reds from zero. As long as you can get adjacent to two units. Well, not even. You could get adjacent to a building and a unit. Oh, snap. I didn't even think about that. If you can hit the building with no red dice. Sure. No, this is a really neat power-up. It makes me honestly very excited about the future of this game. Yeah, that they're willing to go back and look at underpowered models and switch them up to bring them into line is something this game really needs. And I think it's something that almost everyone is pretty looking forward to. Yep, I you know exactly what it's taking all my willpower not to say right now. So, <laughs> a fact that we now know that in the future, Oz is fully willing to go back and adjust things. Maybe give give a model that doesn't have the right number of dice on an attack type and fix it. You know, like how Yasheth in Alpha is missing a blue on his brawl. I don't want to talk about people missing a blue in Alpha right now, Jeff. I mean, it's just Yasheth, right? Are there any others? Uh, on Brawl? No, that sounds about right. <laughs> so moving onward. Yes, I think that is all um, we want to talk about with uh, the errata, right? The only other thing I can remember from the errata that matters compared to the last six months... Back when the Scorchers came out, or Incinerous came out... Yeah, 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 good call. Oz had ruled that you can't ignite, extinguish, ignite, and hit a monster twice with the same tile, and this errata has reversed that ruling. Yes, uh, debris tiles no longer have model memory. Which makes a lot of sense, it's the way we played it at first. Yep, and I think that the nerf to ignite basically makes that already janky play pretty much unplayable. You know what? I 
think that's now like a personal achievement type of play, more so than anything. It's a BM play. <laughs> it's, you know what, I'm going to go, this is my objective for this entire tournament. I'm going to light somebody on fire twice in one turn. And if I do that, it doesn't matter how many games I lose, I will feel like I've won. That's how I feel about using Fission more than once. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise, there are a couple other FAQ things, um, just common questions that they cover. I would really recommend if you take playing this game seriously at all, or just plan to play it with like people other than your friends, this should be your first step is familiarizing yourself with these rulings. If you follow the Discord channel, you'll pick up when anything major like this happens, because there will suddenly be 300-plus unread messages in the space of an hour. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that not every one of your listeners is a member of the Discord. Not all of them, no, which is why I said if. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance, but... I post this on Facebook, too, so moving on. Yes. Step one is know the current competitive rule set. Yep. Know, know what your models do and know what your opponent's models do. That is the first and most important step to going out and playing with strangers. Um, that's actually something we should stress, is that crush hours and tournaments are not super competitive. They are competitive play in that they're organized play, but there is very little in the way of, like, prize support. It's not super cutthroat. It's mostly just an incentive to get people out and playing. So don't be intimidated that you're going to go up against, like, a super try-hard, win-at-all-costs dude. Most likely, your group, your local group, is not going to be like that. This isn't that type of game. I lucked into having my local group be Jeff and Nick, and uh, you guys go a little hard. Yeah, <laughs> you probably are playing in the most cutthroat meta in the country, and I would not yeah. say that we are we are particularly cutthroat either. No, no, I've played so many other games that are, like, win at all costs, oh man, my Millennium Falcon missed a, uh, an attack, how dare Han Solo not hit. And Monpok doesn't really have that. If we missed rolls, we're like, yep, we missed that roll. Wow, that was a 96. Awesome. Oh. I missed a 96 against Nick the other day, so that felt good. I felt like I I felt like I was actually one of you guys for finally. <laughs> you you you've truly earned your earned your wings. Like we both sat there and went, "Wow." And then we plugged it in like 96.3. Wow. So my next piece of advice, beyond know your rules, is know the list of models you're bringing. Don't bring something to a tournament that you're not going to have fun playing four times consecutively. Yes, yeah, uh, this is an easy mistake to make. Uh, <laughs> very. It's very easy to pick up a new model and think, oh, this model's really cool, I want to play with this, and then in round two of your four rounds, you realize that, actually, no, you don't like this model you picked up, and now you're stuck with it for the rest of the afternoon. I brought an MR tank to the last physical tournament I went to. It never got spawned once. I played Rogzor for two months. Oof. <laughs> trying to Stockholm myself into thinking that I enjoyed doing it. I'll be honest, Kraken's good. But I'm not sure I really enjoy playing him. Yeah, it makes you feel dirty, doesn't it? It does. Like, yeah, I'm winning, but at what cost? There's a reason that I'm bringing a ridiculous number of exosuits, and that's to cleanse my soul of playing Kraken. <laughs> I don't think it works that way. And yet. But yeah, know your list. Play it at least once before you take it to go play with strangers. Even if it's just throwing it on the table against your own spare models so you have an idea of what you're trying to do with it yeah get get some practical experience with your models tell you what nothing feels worse than rolling in round one with having to figure out oh wait what does this do oh wait what does this do how do i want to use this how far does that move because i definitely 
definitely lost my first couple games because I did not know what models did. Mm-hmm. The first time I played with Kraken, I didn't know he had lightning attack. Oof, yeah, that'll uh, that'll do it. Not only did I not know that, I was playing against Dr. Mungmung, who is a super solid level player. And I'm sure he, uh, he gave you the business. And Gearbox was spectating. I got a full rundown of all the things I forgot by the end of that. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, that was a practice game, my first game on Tabletop Simulator. And I learned a lot from it, because I played it before I took it into the tournament. I'd much rather learn all that stuff the week before the tournament than in round one. Yes. So the next one I have was playing on a clock. And this is the one that I'm still personally having trouble with. Playing on a the... clock, honestly, is way more intimidating uh, to someone who has not played on a clock before than it really needs to be. That sounds accurate. Once you get into the rhythm of, in my turn, tap the button, it basically fades into the background. I very rarely even notice my clock um, until it starts getting low. <laughs> and... When I'm playing practice games and I'm not on a clock, I find myself reaching to tap something that isn't there to signal the end of my turn. Better to have the reflex and not need it than need it and not have it. Yep. There are free chess clock apps for smartphones. Uh, If you don't own a chess clock, you can just use your phone. I recommend it. It's just another thing that you should get comfortable with and it'll become second nature. Yeah, honestly, the reason playing on a clock in Monpok is rough for me is because every single other game I've come from where I was playing on a clock, it was a shared clock between everybody playing at the same time. All right, guys, start your round. You got 75 minutes to blow each other's spaceships up. Mm -hmm. Because in Monpok, there's never any opposed rules. You never have both people reaching for dice at the same time which means it's only I move, then you move, then I move, then you move. There's a reason we use chess clocks, because it's the exact same method. Yep. We could probably fill an entire episode with strategy on playing on a clock, about clock management, which I don't want to get into, but something that I really recommend that will cut down on your AP, your analysis paralysis, and quicken up your turns to make playing on a clock less intimidating is to work backwards. Figure out the goal of what you want to accomplish for a turn and then figure out how to get into position to accomplish that. So, for example, if you see that an opponent's monster is lined up for a double, say, okay, I'm going to throw my opponent into that double this turn. How do I do that? Don't go through all of the variations of, okay, where are all the places that I can put them, it's pretty easy to see, okay, that is the highest damage option, that's what I want to go for, and then have a follow-up after that of what's a safe space to go from there. That's a really good piece of advice. Yeah. Once you get that down, you can start, you know, thinking ahead of long-term plans, uh, because at, like, high-level play, just like chess, you're going to be wanting, you're going to want to be thinking two or three turns ahead. But for your first event of just getting used to the clock, that is su- that was super helpful for me of cutting down the amount of time I spend staring at the board. I've had it phrased to me as such, a good plan executed immediately is substantially better than a perfect plan executed in an extra five minutes. Absolutely. I would argue that no plan is perfect, (laughs) because we are only human, and even when we are not human, the dice will bring us down to human levels. Dice games. Dice games. So, playing on a clock is the aspect of time management within the game. One of my smaller advices that's not gameplay-based, have your models and cards and dice organized. Know where you're reaching. Yes. If you have to spend 10 seconds every time you're looking for a model, that's going to add up. Because if you're spawning six models, 
you will you spend a full minute of that turn just trying to remember which model you're picking up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another good way to get down on your clock time is know your basic dice odds. One of the first things that you should memorize is that four whites, four blues, and four reds is an 86% to hit defense eight. Huh, that's a good one. Yep, yeah. Know, know what your common odds to hit are, the stuff that you're going to be rolling a lot, so you don't have to do the dice math in your head every time you're making an attack. That's a really, really good one. I like that one, Jeff. Well, thank you. Uh, I can't take full credit from it. Uh, that was one that Relock taught me. It's almost like Relock's good at this game. Yeah, almost. Right. So segueing in from my previous point of keeping your things organized, my next bullet point on this list is transporting your physical models during a tournament. Yes. Tournaments happen at stores. They don't happen at your house. You're going to have to move your stuff. Your stuff. Good job, Jeff. Uh Uh-huh. Be proud. Be proud. So, I've played multiple miniatures games over the years, and transport between rounds is always the sticker. Yep. For X-Wing, I use the bottom half of my corset tray, which has enough space to hold my rulers, hold my dice, hold my models, hold my cards. Uh, For X-Wing, all the stuff was pre-painted and I didn't care, so I just tossed it into a toolbox. Uh, Toolbox is where my Kings of War Vanguard stuff is. (laughs) It was the toolbox for my 40k stuff, and I kicked my 40k stuff out for my Kings of War Vanguard stuff that I've used once. As is the way of minis games. I love minis games. I love them so much that I have so many and don't have any time to spend on any of them but Monpok especially great when it's a minis game that isn't 40k and therefore you have to pull teeth to get anyone else to play it or honestly playing 40k feels like pulling my own teeth i own a swarm army which is the worst but moving on to actually talking about monpok yes having some sort of tray is one of the best things you can do for yourself i picked up a couple cheapy wooden particle board trays while well, see more was going out of business, I spray-painted the one red to match my army, took it with me to a tournament, and it was great. Has enough room for all 12 buildings, both monsters, all 20 units, stuck my cards on the bottom of it, and it was everything I wanted. Uh, I spent $10 to buy a cardboard filing cabinet from Walmart. I took one of the drawers out, and then I put a piece of foam board in the bottom of it and cut out divots for each foundation base. So there's nice. there's 20 little 1x1 squares, 2 2x2 two two squares, and then the buildings can just chill on the side because they don't get based. And I made myself a tray for $9. I picked up a second one of those wooden trays from AC Moore, slapped it with some wood stain I had for... Uh, dipping models in to get them all black and shiny, so it's now a nice darkly stained one. Threw down some uh, drawer liner, the little mesh foam stuff. Mm-hmm. Used some hobby glue to glue that down, and now I've got a newer hobby tray that things don't slide on, and that one cost me a whole, I think, $5 between picking up the drawer liner and the tray on going out of business sales. Sweet. I've seen people use any number of different things. Yep. I've used the lids of mod pizza boxes. I've seen somebody use a baking sheet for Kings of War. I keep all of my dice, cards, and hazard tiles in an empty cigar box. I really like that cigar box. It's a, I mean, they're cheap balsa wood boxes. Uh, I actually fished it out of the trash at my old job. Because I worked for a cigar company for a little while. But if you smoke cigars, you can get one for like 20 bucks, smoke the cigars, and then you have a free box at the end of it. I've used lids from card boxes. Like the big old four-slot trays that hold magic cards. Yep. Taken the lid off that and use that to carry things. Have some way to move your things back and forth without putting them all into a big old jumble. And it lets you keep them organized between rounds. Every time I've ever gone to a tournament and seen somebody having to, like, 
use two hands to move their stuff between uh, tables, between rounds, has made me cringe hard. And to add to that, um, keep a tube of super glue in your bag because even with the fanciest tray, stuff gets bumped, stuff gets jostled, uh, models will get dinged up. It's just the yeah. nature of playing with your stuff. So have something around to repair a lost limb if you need it. I've seen uh, either super glue or several people keep poster tack, blue tack, sticky tack, whatever you want to call it. Yep. For reattaching things to bases or slapping an arm back on as a temporary fix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, blue poster tack is really good for, for temporarily adhesing things to uh, bases or limbs to bodies. All right. I'm about to add a small bullet point to this list that I had, which is transporting your models is all well and good. Identifying your models is also very important. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of people will take the full opportunity to paint their hobby models and go all in on the hobby, which is great, grand, fantastic, and not for everybody. If going all in and getting your stuff gussied up isn't the reason you're playing this game, that's fine. Yep. Honestly, I have never encountered a community more chill about how well your stuff is painted than the Monster Apocalypse community. Which is good, because of my artistic talents, miniatures painting is not one of them. Ah, your models are fine. They're great. They're bright. They're table-ready. They are table-ready. And honestly, if I didn't care enough about my models that I want to get them to a three-color standard, I'd call all the Destroyer models I have table-ready. They're all blue. I spray-painted them blue. They're distinctly the same force. They're blue. And you know what? At a tournament, that's fine. Yep. It, I'm not going to mix up my gray models with your gray models, because we don't both have gray models. Mine are blue. They're solid matte blue. There's no judgment about showing up with bare resin, especially if the model's new. Um, but I think what you're getting at is, if you're going to show up with bare resin, at least have some identifying mark on like the base or something, so you know yes. that it's your bare resin. Exactly. Similarly, if you're having bare resin, have some identifiable way to mark your elites. Because that little star on the base is not easy to see from three feet away. Yep. I would honestly recommend filling in that star with a little bit of ink if you are doing the hobby stuff. I just put gold stripes on my elites instead, but yeah. Like, even with a, a changed-up color scheme, just making making it very clear what is and isn't an elite is important. I haven't gotten around to starring my bases yet because I haven't done anything hobby-wise except spray paint a couple things in the last six months yeah i feel that i've got i've got <laughs> an entire protector's force that's sitting in my paint box i have an entire protector's force and an entire destroyer's force that are sitting on top of my shelf here like i i can look slightly to my left and not counting any of the units that are flat against the box i can see galamaxis zormaxim zormagna two shadow sun buildings and a guard base all primed and ready for painting. And they have been for weeks now. Uh, forever and ever. The eternal backlog. Let's not even talk about the other miniatures games that are in the closet. Yeah, I only play one. <laughs> I mean, I only play one. I just own lots. Because I haven't played X-Wing since 2019 either. Rest in, rest in peace, X-Wing. So, looking at the last bullet point on this sportsmanship... Saving the best for last. This one's a doozy. Uh, don't be rude. Don't be a jerk. It's a game. There's always going to be a winner and a loser. It's a dice game. There's always going to be an element of chance. Yep. Those two points make up the kind of general understanding that you need to have going into go play four consecutive games with strangers. You might lose. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to tell anyone... Don't get salty, because that's impossible. You know, people get frustrated. It's understandable. Just 
you know, be mature enough to know when you're tilted and maybe step out. Don't take it out on your opponents. Absolutely. I know I definitely got very um, done with the game the last couple games I played because they were against Relocked and Boxy, and I just got bodied two times in a row. Mm-hmm. Well, that'll happen. But it's a game. You got you got to take the the L's to get the W's sometimes. I learned a lot losing to high level players. I would have liked to win. And I th- I think it goes both ways. You should also be courteous in victory. Very true, because the guys who I completely lost against were always like, "Hey, yeah, good game." And like I asked them, like, "Man, whoa, where do you think that turned on me?" And they were able to point exactly to the biggest mistake I made that might have saved me Mm -hmm. if I hadn't made it. Like, I played against Gearbox back in the first tabletop simulator tournament I played in. I played him for a chance to win it all. And everybody linked to Power Gorge at this point can point out exactly where I messed up. (laughs) And that was clearing my own screen because it was made up of my opponent's model. I figured it was better to do something than to do nothing. And I should have done nothing. And I know that now. Um, Gearbox has beaten me twice now for that exact reason of me clearing my own screen because it was his unit. So you and I are in the same boat in that regard. Gearbox is a really consistent player. So the fact that if it's happened to me once and you twice. He must leave his models laying forward a lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah, or, you know, sometimes his models hang back and I'm deep in his back line. When it happened to me, he was on my back line. But at that point, I think Nova, who I usually have floating around in the back line, was already dead. But yeah, sportsmanship. Sportsmanship. Don't, don't be a jerk, whether you're winning or losing. It's a game. And it's a small game, and we should all be doing our best to grow the community, not shrink it. And the best way to grow a community is to make sure that your players have fun at your events. Yeah, I'm like, I look forward to Monster Apocalypse events. I no longer look forward to X-Wing events, because I stopped having fun at X-Wing events at some point. Monster Apocalypse, I have yet to not have fun. Like, I, I'll create my own secondary win condition in my own head like okay i'm gonna lose this game but i i'm gonna get nova's abilities to fire i'm gonna ping somebody for super damage and i'm going to use fission twice like yeah that's that feels good to me Mm -hmm. i might be going down but i'm gonna take you down as far as i can too ha 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 take your breakers good game i did my best to keep you from winning yep as long as you don't like, go, I kept you from winning, and do the Snidely Whiplash, rolling the mustache. Like, oh man, yeah, I, I tried to put up a fight for it. Good game. Yep, you should, always, you should always play to your breakers. If nothing else, then it's a sign of respect. Like, I've definitely gotten my butt handed to me plenty of times. I think my win rate's around 50% in this game right now. And every time I've lost, I've lost hard. I don't think I've won. I don't think I've lost any games close. Maybe one or two, where it was down to whether or not they landed the last attack before I got the chance to murder them. And those are some of the best games, honestly. When it gets close like that, mm-hmm. I've definitely won a couple games from that position. Yep. When it comes when it comes down to the die roll, or when it's just a matter when it's a matter of like. You can you can see the rest of the game unfolding before you and finding a way out of that situation. You throw the 40% die roll because that's what you got available to you and it's your one it's your one possible out and it hits and they whiff on a 96. Yep. 96% whiffs can be tilting as all get out. You do that dice math Jeff laid out. Like, all right, I'm looking for a defense eight. Here's four of each die. I'm at a 86. Let's throw in another power die somewhere up in the 90s. <laughs> what do you mean every single power die I rolled came up on a blank? Well, donk. Some, sometimes, you know, they have blanks on them. It happens. 
but that's the moment where you need to not dwell on it. Tidy your stuff up. Come up with your new uh, plan. Because that rolls back into playing on a clock. If you stand there going, what the heck? And you're laying into yourself about missing a chance. Nothing wastes more clock time than getting tilted after a bad roll. You, you, need to, you need to be able to roll with the punches and get into position and keep playing. Or if that was literally all the dice you had, hit the clock immediately after missing. Be tilted on your opponent's turn and get back into the swing of things on your own. Yep. All right. That clears off your agenda list. Is there anything that else you want to talk about? Specifically to Monster Apocalypse tournaments, I've only played in two physically. I've never had to deal with a multi-day tournament or anything. So that's not any sort of advice I could offer. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, get a good night's sleep. Eat healthy. Eat. Eat before the tournament. Bring snacks. Yes. You're not you when you're hungry. And drink water. Like, real water. Yeah. Like, this sounds like basic lifestyle advice, but my goodness, does it matter at tournaments. Yes. Because the first Monpoc tournament I went to, I was dehydrated and hungry, and I didn't have the best time. I had a good time. It wasn't the best time. I had a substantially better time the second one because I knew to do things like make sure I took my allergy meds, bring ibuprofen for when I inevitably started getting a headache because I wasn't going to drink enough water, bring two water bottles with me, and bring a can of Pringles. Yeah. Um, I think... In general, this, this, like, we, we're talking more about cons and, like, long events, but I think it applies to short, like, daily events, too, is, is just take care of yourself, um, wear comfortable shoes, because you're gonna be standing for several hours, you know, eat, sleep, just don't forget that you're a human being just because you're playing a game for a couple hours. Which sounds like silly advice. Aside from the fact that it's completely applicable. Every single one of us is guilty of it. Constantly. The only other thing I can think of to say is when you arrive at the event. Oh, there's a good one. If you have the means to, type up and print out your tournament list before arriving at the event. Oh, I I never do that. I just have my list memorized and never change it. Yeah, it's my favorite piece of advice because my handwriting is atrocious. Straight bad. Before I went to my first event, I contacted the TO, like, hey, do you have a PDF I can fill out? Because I know you won't be able to read this if I write it out. (laughs) I know the monpoc.net list builder has a print tournament sheet option directly from it. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, actually, that is uh, another good piece of advice about to, to bring it full circle and go back to the beginning of knowing knowing the rules and knowing your models. There are two online resources that you can use, the monpog.net list builder and monsterroom.app. Both of them have all of the rules. They both have a list builder, and Monster Room also has a dice calculator. You can build a list and print it out from there. In both of them, I believe. I've never tried to print from Monster Room. Let me see. Because Monster Room is is my preferred one. They're both good, though. So if I go to create a list, list actions. Copy to clipboard, clear list, or cancel list building. Yep, so only the monpoc.net one has printing. That one also has export as TTS object, if you're playing online, which is very cool. Um... So, point being, both have their upsides, both have their downsides. They're both really good resources. Uh, familiarize, familiarize yourself with both. Monster Room is prettier. Yes. Monster Room has CSS style sheets applied to it. I kind of like the uh, monpoc.net one a little better myself, because it is a lot closer to what I'm used to for other army building sites for other games but I've been using Monster Room more recently whenever I need to copy and paste it instead of print it. Because mm-hmm. Monster Room is much cleaner looking. Everything is pretty and colorful, and you know if you're looking at an alpha or a hyper. But they're both great. 
both the guys who maintain the respective apps are active in the Discord servers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't recommend these more than Jeff already has. They're great. Use them. They will make your life substantially better as far as Monster Apocalypse is concerned. Yep. So, in closing, we'll go over real quick what we talked about. Familiarize yourself with the rules, including any FAQ and errata. Familiarize yourself with the rules on your models and your opponent's models. Which does, to some degree, mean take a look at all the models available in the game. Because when playing with strangers, you don't know who's going to bring weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Be prepared to play on a clock. Get some practice games in with a clock and know how to manage your clock, at least a little bit. Bring a tray or something to transport your models in a convenient fashion and practice good sportsmanship. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Not that I can think of. Not related to Monpoc, at least. Like, I can rant for hours, but that's not about anything relevant. Yeah, I mean, how are you doing, Garrett? How's life? Uh, oh, it's alright. It's gonna be weird. Starting this uh, Monday, Warren is heading to first grade. So while I've been on second shift for the duration of the global pandemic, I've been at home all day with both my kids. And as of Monday, it'll be just me and my daughter at home during the days. And it's going to be weird because I rely on the kids to help entertain each other. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, uh, that is a problem that has thus far eluded me in my bachelor lifestyle. You know what? We went all through all that, even with all the sidebars. We're in on uh, five minutes under what my projected recording time was. Well... You're welcome. I did my best to keep us on task. You really did. You did a very nice job. All right. Well, let's uh, let's close the close the episode out. Yeah. All right. So this has been Midnight Mon Pond, the Monster Apocalypse podcast after dark. I'm Garrett. I'm Jeff. Thanks for dropping by, guys. Catch you around. Good night.